It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Wenigal and I'm joined by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hello Kay, hello listeners. Today is the big day. Unless you're at BZE's summit yesterday... We, today we find out about the latest BZE report called Electrifying Industry. It's yet another unique report from BZE. Nowhere else in the world has this information been collated and researched before. And here to tell us about it is Michael Lord, Head of Research at BZE. Hello Michael, thanks for joining us. Hello Kay and Michael, it's good to be back on the show. Good to have you here again. Now firstly, congratulations on this report and all the hard work that's gone into producing it. Thank you. Are you exhausted? Yes. <laughs> I am exhausted, but we're there now. <laughs> well done again. Amazing perseverance. Now, people probably don't appreciate how much work goes into reports like this. How long has it been in the making? In terms of the concept, um, probably about a year and a half uh, but it was really probably the end of last year, beginning of this year, where we really knuckled down and started doing the research into electrifying industry. And there were a great set of volunteers and experts that you had in assisting you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, as with all of our reports, we've, w- we've worked with a team of uh, volunteers. Uh, we've worked with undergraduates, postgraduates, people, engineers in their mid-career, semi-retired engineers, um, I think we've got about 20 volunteers listed in the report and probably at least the same number of expert consultants, people from all around, all around the world who um, have been able to advise us about uh, heat pumps and microwaves and all sorts of uh, electrical heating technologies. That's the amazing thing about BZE, isn't it, the resources that it has on hand? And, and the amplification of those resources where um, for every dollar given to BZD, you get $10 worth of work because you, you get like a 90% volunteer effort, don't you? Yeah, e- exactly right. Uh, and I'm really impressed with people's generosity um, because they believe in what we're trying to do. They believe uh, that showing that Australia can uh, eliminate greenhouse gas emissions and that it's achieving an affordable is a very worthwhile goal. Uh, and that makes people willing to give their time to us free of charge, which I'm always very grateful for. Now, Michael, your earlier report was called Rethinking Cement, and it was the first of its kind worldwide. Is that the same for the electrifying industry report? Yeah, we think so. Different people have said in the past, oh, we can electrify everything and we can electrify industry. But not many people have given the details behind that. When you're talking about industry and manufacturing, it's a lot of different processes, making metals, making food, bricks, glass, cement. They're all quite different and it's never really been answered in one place before how you could use renewable electricity to replace the fossil fuels normally used in these processes. 
We interviewed last week the Australian Alliance for Energy Productivity and they were talking about uh, Industry 4.0 or Industrial Revolution 4.0. Is this report part of that harbinger, the new wave of the Industrial Revolution? I think so. We, we don't talk a lot about Industry 4.0, but Industry 4.0 is going to continue and accelerate the process of automation and digitization of uh, industry. And uh, electrifying industry, so using electricity for processes that are currently driven by fossil fuels, really complements Industry 4.0 because it's much easier to automate a process and to control it precisely that has been electrified. An analogy would be with electric vehicles. It's easier to computerize and automate an electric vehicle than a standard uh, internal combustion engine. And there has been a lot of discussion in recent years about Australia basically losing a substantial slab of its manufacturing capacity and, and that we do export a lot of agricultural exports and mining. But manufacturing is still, even now, 30% of our economy, isn't it? Yeah, it's 30% of the exports Export economy, uh, of yeah. the economy and it's a significant component of the economy. It's one of the points we make in the report. It's the driver of innovation in the economy. It produces high-quality jobs, so stable, well-paying jobs, and it has a big multiplier effect, by which we mean that a dollar of value created in manufacturing creates two or three dollars in other sectors. So it's really important to have a thriving manufacturing sector. It has been declining in Australia, and one of the things we're saying is there's an opportunity with Australia's unrivaled renewable energy resources mm -hmm. to actually expand manufacturing. There's no reason why a high-wage economy like Australia can't have a very successful manufacturing sector. You just have to look at companies, uh, countries like Germany and Japan. Which, of course, hucks right back to the earlier BZ report, Australian super energy... Uh, so Superpower. So, yeah, um, renewable energy superpower. That, yeah, that's right. Um, electrifying industry very much follows on from renewable energy superpower. So renewable energy superpower showed that Australia is unusual in the world in that we've got the ability to create far more renewable electricity from solar and wind than we could ever need. So we can use that to our competitive advantage to electrify almost everything, but mm -hmm. including manufacturing. So the report is called Electrifying Industry and it then obviously highlights that the fact is that we're not using electricity for our energy. What does industry currently use for its energy? Industry certainly already uses a, a lot of electricity. It uses electricity to power machines for motive power and some industrial processes are almost fully electrified. The big one that people might know about is aluminium smelting, which uses electrolysis to produce aluminium, a huge uh, consumer of electricity. And a huge subsidy it gets too. And, and also gets a huge subsidy to make that affordable, yeah. But uh, what we're tackling is the large amounts of fossil fuels used at the factory, and most of those fossil fuels are used to generate heat. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the production of most other metals or cement, glass, plastic, food, it's a very long list. They're burning fossil fuels, often it's natural gas, in the factory. And so our report is showing how we can eliminate the use of those fossil fuels at the factory and replace it with renewable electricity. So the, the largest percentage is gas, is it? The largest percentage is gas. There's also a significant percentage, though, from coal that is particularly in the iron and steel sector where the coal doesn't just provide the heat but it actually has a chemical role in the production of iron. 
So how much energy is actually used in industry in Australia? I think the figure that we're tackling the fossil fuel energy is 660 petajoules. It's a giga, a gigajoule, of, isn't it? Yes, that's <laughs> right, yes. So that's about 29% of all our in- energy use? Manufacturing in total, I think, is 29%. Uh, I think that figure includes the electricity that they use. Uh-huh. Yes. And there's 42 million tonnes a year carbon dioxide produced? That's right, from industrial heat processes. So that's about 8% of Australia's emissions, equivalent to all the cars on the road. And it's more than the state of South Australia uses. That's right, yeah, yeah, more than the whole state of South Australia. So it's a significant chunk of emissions, and it's an area of emissions that there's very little government action on or company action on. Uh, they've they've been overlooked. Most of the discussion is about electricity and transport and buildings. Globally, this figure of the emissions from uh, industrial heat is bigger. It's more like 12%. And all of the solutions we're suggesting uh, have global applicability. Australia is different because we're able to produce more renewable electricity, but the actual technologies we're talking about could be used anywhere. It does always bug me that our government talks about needing to sell our fossil fuels for financial reasons, but ignoring the fact that we are just as rich, even richer, in renewables as we are in fossil fuels. And we're leaving ourselves behind the eight ball by not adopting that, aren't we? That's right. We're we're even richer in renewable energy than fossil fuels, and we can still convert that into exports, firstly by producing energy-intensive goods here that we then sell abroad. And this is another point made in Renewable Energy Superpower, by actually exporting that renewable energy in the form of hydrogen or electricity. Mm. Michael, Australia is um, notorious for being fairly low on energy productivity, the the output per unit energy in. I think we're at the bottom of the developed world. We spoke recently to a representative from Anchor and he told us that his energy plan, when his energy plan finished recently, uh, the supply quoted an increase of 150%. And And another one, 200%. Is that happening generally and is that waking people up to the need for us to get more energy productive? Yeah, so are you you referring – Anchor is mentioned in our report. Are you referring to their renewable energy power purchase agreement? Well, they went that way because of this massive increase in energy and that was a way they were able to reduce their cost dramatically. Yeah. Um, not they still had a rise, but nothing like as bad as they had a seventy percent rise, yeah. whereas it would have been at least one hundred and fifty to two hundred percent otherwise. Mm. Yeah, that's right. We've got a long list of companies and manufacturers in our report who have signed renewable energy power purchase agreements as a way of reducing their costs. So they've been able to reduce their costs on average by twenty to fifty percent for the energy component of their electricity bill just by going on a renewable plan. The other way manufacturers can turn to renewable electricity is by building their own. So they can put solar on roofs or they could build a solar plant off-site if they haven't got enough space on-site. So talking about plans, is there a government plan to reduce emissions in the industrial sector? I have to say not really. There are a few schemes where governments provide financial assistance for companies to be more energy efficient. There are small grants in Victoria and New South Wales to encourage switching of fuels where that reduces emissions or improves efficiency. 
But by and large, these are fairly marginal policies. So it's one of the things we're calling for in our report, for there to be a national industrial strategy, which focuses on exploiting this opportunity Australia has in the low carbon era to reduce emissions, use our renewable energy potential and expand the manufacturing sector. So let's get to the technical stuff. We're the technical audience. You've identified five main areas for electrification. What are they and where can they be used? Yeah, we've identified five technologies that enable us to switch from a fossil fuel-driven process to a process powered by renewable electricity. So the, the first one is heat pumps. A heat pump technology is the same as people have in a reverse cycle air conditioner, but more and more there are industrial heat pumps available on a much bigger scale that are capable of producing hot water, hot air or steam. And the difference from the recent development is that these heat pumps are able to provide steam or hot water up to 160 degrees in temperature. Mm. So what that does is it gives manufacturers an electrical option to replace centralised gas boilers, which often are not providing temperatures above 160 degrees. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge opportunity for heat pumps to replace centralised gas boilers and things like food manufacturing that require those sort of lower temperatures. And can they do this without a big drop-off in their coefficient of performance? Because that's the advantage of heat pumps, isn't it? That yeah. A, a unit of engine gives you four units. Yes, out. exactly right. Heat pumps have a coefficient of performance, which basically means that they're, they're several hundred percent efficient. So the industrial heat pumps we're talking about are up to 700 percent efficient. To 700 percent. Uh-huh. Yeah, they produce seven times more thermal energy than the electrical energy they consume up to that. So how efficient they are depends on the increase in temperature they produce between the temperature input and the temperature output. So they need to use a waste source of heat in the factory. Many factories do have a waste source of heat. So if you think of an example, something like drying timber or bricks, there'll be humid, warm air coming out of that drying chamber, which is quite hard to reuse with other systems, but heat pumps are very well adapted to being able to reuse that waste heat and raise the temperature up again. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Michael Lord from the BZE and we're discussing the latest BZE report, Electrifying Industry, released just yesterday at the BZE Summit. So, Michael, you said there are five technologies. You've given us one, heat pumps. Next one? Yeah, next one is a whole range. This is a whole category, really, of technologies which use the electromagnetic spectrum to generate heat. So the main ones we look at are infrared heating, induction, and microwave technology. So what they all have in common is that they're efficient, and they're efficient because they heat a material directly, unlike a standard oven, which needs to heat the air and the whole oven around it before heating the thing which is in the oven electromagnetic technologies heat the product directly so that means they can often uh, reduce the energy inputs required to let's say dry paper or wood or something by 50 percent so is that mainly used in those industries that you're talking about paper and wood There is a huge variety of industries where you can use these technologies induction is biggest opportunity for induction is for heat treating and melting metals microwaves are good for bulk heating of material so we've got a a case study where we show how microwaves can be used to fire bricks 
And greatly improve the efficiency of the brick kiln, I understand. Yeah, halve the energy use for firing bricks. But the other thing about all of these technologies is the speed with which they work. So that could be just as attractive to a manufacturer as Mm -hmm. reducing the energy, the speed. So you can fire bricks more than twice as quickly if you use microwave assistance in the firing. Time is money. Time is money. So that's electromagnetic, a variety of technologies under number two there. Number three, electrical resistance. Number three, yeah, is a whole variety of electrical furnaces, so electrical resistance. So just as you might have a gas oven at home and you could switch to an electric oven, you can do the same with a whole swathe of electrical heating technologies, and it's probably the simplest way of doing it, and it's something that we've been doing for 100 years. And what sort of industries or situations would use that? Well, the plastics industry, for example, already uses electrical resistance. Mm-hmm. You could fire ceramics in a, an electric kiln, a whole long list of them. We, we talk about how carbon fibre is made using electrical furnaces. It surprised me in your preview talk last Monday that carbon fibre is actually an incredibly energy-intensive int- product. Yes, carbon fibre is a great material because it's light, so it reduces the emissions from when you build cars and vehicles Mm -hmm. out of it, it reduces the energy requirement to propel those vehicles, but the downside is it's so energy intensive, about 20 to 30 times more energy intensive than steel, so it can take a lot of driving a carbon fibre car to earn back the emissions you've expended on making it, but If you make that carbon fibre with renewable electricity, it can be a zero emissions product. 20 to 30% times more energy required than for making steel. Yes, it is incredible that it's so much. But there's a local company called Furnace Engineering who have produced carbon fibre furnace, which reduces the energy input required by 30%. So -hmm. we will be able to get that energy down, but it's always going to take a lot more to make carbon fibre than it it does steel. Mm -hmm. So that was three. Number four is electric arc heating, I think. Electric arc arc heating is kind of in the section that deals with electric furnaces, but electric arc furnaces, which we already use for recycling steel, are part of our strategy, which we probably don't have time to go into, but it is possible to make steel without any emissions, to make steel without coal. That's very interesting. Check out that report. Yes, and the second step of that would be using electric arc furnaces. So the fourth category, which which is the most exciting one, actually, to uh, me. Well, yes, I think they're all exciting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fourth category is renewable hydrogen. So listeners probably know you can make hydrogen with electrolysis. So that running an electric current through water, which splits the water into hydrogen and oxygen. With that hydrogen, you can do a whole load of interesting things. So you could use it directly as a fuel, as a low emissions fuel. But you could also use it to make steel. And this has already been done. You can make steel with hydrogen using a process called direct reduction. And in that process, you don't need any coal or other fossil fuels. And the second step in that process would be using the electric arc furnaces, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And you can also send that hydrogen over overseas as an energy source. And that, that's a great export industry. Yeah, that's right. And there are countries in East Asia, particularly Japan, who are very interested in the hydrogen economy and are interested in importing that hydrogen. So in the report we talk about one way, because hydrogen is a difficult material to transport and store, and one way of doing that would be to turn it into ammonia. Mm, So I I misled listeners then. There's actually four broad categories that you've broken it into, not five, as I see. Well, there is is a fifth one listed in the report, which is the storage of energy, of heat. So 
in a fully renewable system, there's going to be times, and we're already actually seeing this in in Queensland, where the electricity price is zero or even negative. Mm -hmm. It's going to make sense at those times to store that electricity as heat. And there are various ways of doing this. We talk about a company based in Adelaide, which is using molten silicon. So it's essentially a big block of silicon. You run electricity through it uh, until oh. it's it's molten. Eighteen fourteen or fourteen fourteen, which okay. is the the molten, exactly the the melting point of yeah, silicon, so. and you can then use that stored heat to generate electricity or generate heat up to seven hundred degrees. You make some compelling arguments about the ten main benefits for of electrifying industrial process heat. Can you go through them? I'm not sure I can remember them all oh, now. but okay. uh, yeah. So one so, of them was about electricity powering any heat transfer process. Yeah, that's right. As we've been doing this research, I've noticed a preconception perhaps that electricity can be used for the lower heat temperature processes in industry. But that's not actually true. There's no practical limit for the temperatures that we could get using electricity. In fact, if we use a technology called plasma torch furnace, we can reach temperatures of several thousand degrees centigrade, which is something you couldn't do by burning a fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. So there is, as you say, no industrial heat processes that we couldn't electrify. Mm -hmm. And it's much more efficient than any other energy source? That's right. Using the technologies that we profile it's more efficient so heat pumps are several hundred percent efficient when you use them correctly compared to a good gas-fired boiler might be 85 percent efficient in the factory that's a very good gas boiler isn't it yeah that's a very good one once you've taken account of the inevitable losses in a factory often there are lots of losses from distributing the steam around the factory in long pipes the electromagnetic heating technologies can often reduce energy input by 50%. So one of our case studies is about melting aluminium prior to casting aluminium products and how using induction to do that could reduce the energy input by 50%. So, yes, efficiency is another. Speed. Speed, as you pointed out, with yep. the bricks and, and the, the kilns. The modularity. Um. Modularity, yes. Yeah. So many of the electrical heating technologies can be implemented as on a piece-by-piece basis. You don't have to switch wholesale, for example, from a, ga- from a centralised gas boiler to heat pumps. You could apply a heat pump to a little bit of your process, mm-hmm. perhaps a distant part of your factory, to eliminate one of these costly distribution pipes. And when, when you saw how that worked or when you had more money, uh, implement more heat pumps in the factory. So it can be done over time, which is spreading the risk and cost of switching to electrical heating technologies. And it reduces labour costs. Yes. How's that? One, often with uh, combustion systems, you have to have someone, that system staffed all the time for safety reasons. And second, this is coming back to the ease with which electrical systems can be automated and controlled, freeing up uh, you know, someone who'd previously been monitoring a system for more useful roles in the factory. This is one which really interests me is you say that it's more secure. Electricity is more secure than other forms of energy. Is that to do with the other thing you mentioned, the ubiquity, that it's everywhere and, and basically you can have electricity everywhere, so you, your energy source is more yeah, secure? Yeah, so, so I think there might be two points. One, electricity's 
or available everywhere so you don't have to worry you know for example using natural gas you have to really be on the gas network to make that affordable to use natural gas in your factory whereas electricity is already available everywhere the second thing um, with more secure i think you might be referring to the point that when you put up solar panels or you sign a long-term renewable energy power purchase agreement you've got a, a fair degree of certainty over your price that you're paying for energy over 10 or 20 years with mm-hmm. gas and fossil okay. fuels yeah. as we've seen very much recently that price can go all yeah. over the place it's very volatile and gas prices have risen by 100 or 200 percent sometimes mm-hmm. recently and so it's not just security of supply it's security of price of supply security yeah. of price yes. so you're managing by switching to electricity renewable electricity you're managing mm-hmm. risk just before we leave this can we can i just jump back to those five we we skipped, yeah, sure. skipped the uh, hydrogen one a little bit my reaction to a hydrogen economy was why and it's a waste of effort but but i've been turned around on that recently what is your report's views on the role of hydrogen how would it benefit and i know you stress renewable hydrogen so that's an important aspect of it it is a very important aspect of it because there are moves to produce more hydrogen from fossil fuels which mm. just you know <laughs> lead, leads to emissions so I, I don't see why you would do that and i think aspects of the hydrogen economy have been overblown for Cars, for example, it's much more efficient to run a car directly on the electricity rather than turning it into hydrogen. But the real potential for hydrogen is in the industries we present in the report. So steel, which we've already spoken about, the production of renewable ammonia. Ammonia is one of the biggest, the most important industrial chemicals we produce as a planet. It has very many uses and it's likely to become more important uh, in the future as a carrier of hydrogen. So this is where I think hydrogen is going to be. So it's a way of transporting renewable energy, exporting it and burning it elsewhere. That's right. And of course, it's nitrogen rather than carbon, so you're not producing carbon at the other end. That's right. The report says Australia could become a world leader in energy-intensive zero-carbon manufacturing. Can you tell us in what ways it can do that? It can do that by exploiting Australia's unrivaled resources in renewable electricity and using those resources to power industry in the way that we're describing. So in the four or five technologies that we've been through and using the electricity to produce the materials that we use every day. So paper, metal, cement, plastics. And increasingly there's going to be a market for these materials to be produced without the emissions. And large corporations who are signed up to emissions reductions are looking for materials with lower embodied emissions. So just to give one example, IKEA plans for a 70% reduction in the emissions associated with products sold in an IKEA store. That's going to require transformation in the way those products are made, and we're showing one way that transformation can happen. Final question, Michael, and thanks for a very informative interview. Australian manufacturing is inefficient, as we discussed at the start. How would electrifying industry make it more efficient? It would make it more efficient because it enables you to reduce the energy inputs in the production of any product, and often by as much as 50%. That's a massive amount, isn't it? It's a great note to end on. (laughs) Yes, thanks very much, Michael, for introducing us to your new report, and it's very exciting Where can listeners find out more about it, the areas that we haven't covered? They can read the report. There's a short version and a long version available on our website, bze.org.au. So, yeah, check out Electrifying Industry. 
Thanks again for coming in and talking to us about the report. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We've been speaking to Michael Lord, Head of Research at BZE. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.